0: Fear of Economic Inequalities The World Inequality Report, 2018, finds that income inequality has only moderately increased in Europe over the last three decades. The economic think tank Bruegel found that between 1994 and 2008 the Gini coefficient actually steadily decreased. The main reason for this is that people in poorer regions of the EU increased their income relative to richer regions. The economic crisis of 2008, however, managed to blur the long-term picture. If you find yourself concerned about the rich getting richer, the picture painted by the World Inequality Report 2018 is not all that bleak either. From 1980 until 2016, the national income share of the top 10% in Europe was moved from around 32% to 37%. That means the other 90% earned 63%. While some might argue that this disparity is still great, it is in no way comparable to the hysterical narrative we are often sold in the media. You might think the top 1% keeps getting richer, but their income shares in Europe rose from 10% in 1980 to... To 12% in 2016. For comparison, the bottom 50% changed from 21% in 1980 to 19% in 2016. Not only is this a small decrease, it is somewhat misleading. The decline started in the 1980s and went all the way down to 17% in 1995. Since then, the income share of the bottom 50% in Europe has slowly but steadily increased. Since all the other income groups are slowly growing their share, it stands to reason that the income share of the middle class, i.e. the 40% in between the bottom 50% and the top 10%, has decreased. This is something that liberals are trying to address with tax reforms. This group tends to bear the brunt of the state's taxation, while the top 10% tends to find ways to avoid paying their fair share. The consequence is that the top 10% will inevitably become richer, while the rest are forced to stay behind. That is why liberals believe in closing tax loopholes and forcing multinational companies to pay taxes where they make their earnings. The World Inequality Report 2018 allows one important conclusion for this chapter to be drawn. The EU is the world's top performer in mitigating the effects of income inequality, which in turn diminishes wealth inequality. The report projects that if the rest of the world were to adopt Europe's policy frameworks, global economic inequalities could be reduced by 2050. While it is true that global income inequality is falling. Certain countries around the world are implementing illiberal policies that will lead to an increase in global income inequalities. The report concludes that if all countries were to follow the EU's inequality trend, global income inequality between the top 1% and bottom 50% would be reduced. But if every country were to follow its own individual trend, the same margin in 2050 is predicted to rise. What is it about the EU that makes us so much more adept at managing income inequality? The report offers the following suggestions, some of which are inherently liberal policies. Progressive taxation, ensuring everyone pays their fair share and preventing aggressive bargaining for pay rises. On this note, I must add that liberal tax reforms are still necessary to alleviate the bottlenecking of stagnating salaries. I will elaborate on this later. New tools to combat tax evasion and money laundering. For example, a global financial register. We need to fight tax evasion on a global scale. Introducing tools such as a Europe-wide financial transaction tax will only compound the tax evasion issue. We need to create transparency over financial assets worldwide and give authorities the tools they need to combat tax evasion effectively. The only reason tax havens exist is that we allow them to exist. The technology to keep track of asset movements and crack down on illegal and criminal transactions is there. We should use it. Education. Since the 1700s, liberals have been saying that access to education is the key to decreasing inequality and empowering people. This is often misinterpreted. Access to education does not mean free education. In Austria, the socialist government scrapped tuition fees to help with social mobility. To this day, those statistics have not improved. And the reason is simple. Education is inherited from one's parents. The social pressure for a working-class student to get a job after secondary education is enormous. If they want to get an education against their parents' wishes, they will have to move out of their parents' home and get a job to sustain themselves while studying. Invest and pay back your debts Governments need to proactively invest in education, health, environmental protection, and research and innovation to both grow the economy and reduce inequalities. However, one can only invest when one has money to spend. A lot of rich economies are now in considerable debt and we must actively reduce that debt if we want to get to a point where we can use our growth surplus to spend money on the things we sorely need. The education system is rigged in a way that allows students who complete their studies in three or four years to study completely for free. Those who struggle to finish on time are forced to pay tuition fees from their fifth year onward. Scholarships are rare and small, and students that are forced to fend for themselves get trampled by the system. On top of that, the quality of services is continuously decreasing due to ever-smaller budgets for higher education. A liberal reform would reintroduce tuition fees, but make them payable after the completion of studies, and only then if the student finds a job that pays over a certain threshold. In other words, if the degree helps you attain a higher salary, you are asked to give a little back for it. That money could be used to fill university budgets or to create a new simplified scholarship pot for students from less affluent backgrounds who might otherwise be forced to work and study for many years. This way we ensure that everyone has access to higher education and no one is unfairly burdened. The report also offers another important fact. Europe has a strong middle class. While other countries tend to have very rich and very poor people, Europe's income is distributed quite fairly. The Institut der deutschen Wirtschaft published a study in 2018 about net income in Europe and found that, on average, people in Europe earn a very similar net salary and there are few poor and rich people. In fact, the only reason why the European average looks worse than the German statistic in figure 2.1, besides a generally lower level of income in southern countries, is because of high concentrations of poor and low-income citizens in certain European countries. Those countries are Greece, Bulgaria, Romania, Estonia, Croatia, Latvia, Lithuania, Spain, and Portugal. The rest of Europe has effectively limited low-income households, i.e. earning less than 60% of the median income, to well below 20% of the population. Notice that the countries representing the most low-income households correspond to new EU member states, and or countries that were hit especially hard by the financial crisis of 2008. In other words, these countries have more people with low incomes, either because they are recovering from the crisis or because they have not been part of the EU long enough to catch up economically and create a strong middle class. The Baltic countries joined the EU in 2004 and they have grown quite quickly since then. However, they are quite small and face other issues, primarily in the composition of their labour force and the flexibility of their markets something the EU has very little influence over. On the other hand, Poland, which joined the EU at the same time, has managed to use the additional investment and growth of its economy since joining the EU both to transform its market and to invest heavily in infrastructure, including in rural areas, which has benefited its population immensely. Polish citizens have also utilised their freedom of movement in the EU to study and gain work experience abroad. While many feared a brain drain, statistics now show that many citizens are returning to their home countries and using their newly acquired know-how to build up the economy. Poland performed so well that in September of this year, the global analytics firm FTSE Russell officially ranked it as a developed market the first to have come from the post-Eastern bloc. The EU is not a golden ticket, but it does offer opportunities to its member states. It is up to them to use those opportunities to build a stronger economy. After all, they are free to govern themselves. Unfortunately, the European middle classes are still under significant strain. As an employee, you are taxed more and more with every increase of your salary. In some countries, like Belgium, taxation reaches such extremes so quickly that your gross salary increases end up having barely any effect on your net salary, and you work primarily for the state's benefit. What makes this so severe is the speed at which you reach the salary bottleneck. The average worker in Belgium earns €3,489 per month, gross. €3,000 gross equates to around €2,000 net. To reach €3,000 net, a worker needs to increase their gross salary to approximately €5,750. In other words, you have to earn almost 200% of your original gross salary to get a 50% increase in your net salary. In practical terms, this means that employees get capped at a certain salary range, and neither the employer nor the employee has an incentive to increase that range. Instead, employers find other, non-taxable alternatives to reward their employees, e.g. by paying their gas or electricity bills, or by giving them a company car. Forty percent of Belgian employees own a company car. Not only is this not particularly environmentally friendly, it also serves to bind employees to their employers. How can you switch employers when your employer essentially provides all the benefits and comforts you have in your life? This system seriously diminishes freedom of choice for employees. And what about employers? They don't have it easy either. In fact, employers in Belgium are incentivized by the state to do everything in their power to avoid employing people or raising their employees' salaries. As in all European countries, employers pay a bunch of hidden fees and taxes when they employ someone. This includes social security contributions and general employment taxes. An increase of 200 euros in an employee's salary can mean an increase in employer spending of up to 1,000 euros. The employee receives between 20 and 30% of what the employer pays because the rest is snatched away by the state. This system helps to cover the state's social expenses, which primarily benefits low-income individuals. Progressive taxation also reduces income inequalities after tax because higher-income individuals pay higher taxes and thus don't receive exponentially more than low-income individuals. At the same time, this system also ensures that the middle class, be it employees or employers, are squeezed for most of their worth and are essentially blocked from advancing financially. What most people don't understand is, is that this inadvertently contributes to wealth inequalities. It all comes down to very basic maths. You may have heard people say, the first million is the hardest. What they mean is that when you start with one euro, getting to one million means a wealth increase of one million percent. If you already have a million and get another, your wealth will have increased by only 50%. Another million, a 25% increase so it continues, on and on. Money makes money. The more money you have, the more you can invest, and the greater the return. Earnings from capital also happen to not be taxed much in most countries. You might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with me? I don't have a million, and probably never will. To this, I say, exactly. That is my point. We don't live in a vacuum. We live in a globalised world where rich people and companies already exist. They already have billions and they know how to keep them and increase their wealth. The average citizen hopes to be able to make rent for the next calendar month. That doesn't sound fair, does it? A socialist would argue that we need to introduce massive wealth taxes to redistribute from the rich to the poor. I would counter that argument on two counts. One, just because someone managed to get rich, that doesn't mean they're a bad person and deserve to be punished. Chances are they worked hard, paid their taxes, and then managed to get to a place where they no longer needed to work and were thus able to elude the system. According to Fidelity's Millionaire Outlook survey, 86% of millionaires made their own wealth and did not inherit it. All this means is that the system we currently have is not working, because the main tax burden lies on the working middle class. Either way, that does not give the state the right to control how much money one person has, nor to take ownership of their private property. My second counter would be to ask, what is the point of introducing wealth taxes when the rich can already avoid those very same taxes? All a wealth tax does is ensure that rich people will move somewhere where they are not taxed. A liberal proposal would be to lower the tax burden on employees and employers while at the same time fighting to close tax loopholes and tax havens internationally. In a globalised world with multinational actors that move across borders seamlessly to avoid taxes, A system that tries to regulate inequalities by taxing working people heavily on a national level is doomed to fail. While small and medium-sized enterprises, SMEs, employees and the self-employed alike are taxed into submission, the biggest tech giants are free to grow and amass wealth with little restraints. They need to pay taxes, not on what they already own, but on the products they sell and the profits they make in Europe. Liberals don't see how the current system is fair, or how it is supposed to make the world more just. In this spirit, the European Commission has acted strongly against companies engaged in tax avoidance and undermining competition. Over the last five years, it has slapped one fine after another onto companies like Google, Amazon and Apple. This is not only because the Commission feels like serving some justice, but also because of concerns about competition. As I alluded to during my brief look at communist history at the beginning of this chapter, a lack of competition can lead to a lack of quality and innovation, but it also means structural corruption and market manipulation. If you have no competitor, It is easy for you to manipulate the prices of your products and force the public to pay exorbitant sums for them. Suddenly you find yourself in a shop with three different smartphones, all made by the same company and all costing more than you can afford, with barely any difference to them. Monopolies kill markets and ensure that only the wealthy have access to the newest technologies. That is why liberals are ever vigilant when it comes to possible monopolies. We care about broad access to technology and innovations. We also want people to have the same chances to succeed and grow, both in terms of their self-fulfillment and also financially. Trying to become rich is not a crime. Stopping others from moving up the social and income ladder is, or at least it should be.